But what I want to in- encourage you all to, to do, number one, um, obviously I've said, you know, to, to pray about your, your call in this transition, to pray about what it is that God is calling you to do, what is it that he's put in you that needs to come out right now in this transition? Because if you're part of the body, you're, you're part of the movement, then this is not just Pastor Denville and Pastor Abdi. This is the body that's changing. And so, I, so one thing that I, well, two, two things. The first thing I want to encourage us to do um, is, to, is to stay. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny, but, but, to, but to stay. And, and for those of us who have already sought the Lord and have prayed and have heard from the Lord, then, then by all means, follow him. But what I'm saying is that the, I, I, I don't want us to just run because we're uncomfortable um, or because we just don't like change. But I, I want to encourage you to stay. And number one is going to explain why I'm saying number two, stay and continue to be yourselves while submitting to the Lord. Continue to be yourselves while submitting to the Lord. Because I, I do believe that there is something that those who are coming over to the mind, from the mind vineyard to the Dura vineyard, I do believe that there's something that's happening here that's just going to create a new thing. How many of you know that when my wife and I had a child, it, it, it was neither one of us? It was a completely different thing. It had pieces of the both of us. But when you combine these two different things, it, it births something brand new. And, and here's the thing about the brand new thing that it births. It births something brand new that's ready to take the next generation. My wife and I are remaining in the generation that we were birthed for. But when we've come together and we birth and spawn something new, this new thing that comes out, it's something that has more impact for the generation ahead of us than anything else that's been created. So I'm saying to stay, to be yourselves, and to allow these two seemingly different things to germinate, that we will become one body. Amen? That's all I have for that. Um, so, 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 so I, I just, I just want to put that out there because over the next few weeks, um, it, it's, it is going to look different. You know, people have been saying things like, I know things are changing, but promise me that things won't change. And I'm like, what? That doesn't even make sense, right? I, I know that things are changing, but promise me it'll be the same. And, and I'm like, no, it, it can't be because God is birthing something new. And I believe that for the past 12 years, what God has done here has been absolute, absolutely amazing. And what he's birthing now in this season is to take the next 12 years. And, and, and so I, I want us to be a part of that. And I want us to, 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 to stick around long enough and to be a part of the momentum. So I'm going to pray for me and then I'm going to preach. Father, I just thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for the hearts and for the people who are present, God. Um, I thank you for your grace that is in this room. I thank you for your strength that is in this room. Father, would you just put your power on my words, God? <laughs> Father, that, 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 that my heart w- would just be one that is just in touch with what you're doing in this season, Lord. God, and that the people in this room who you also love would hear you. Father, and as we move through the scriptures today, that different seeds that are tossed out, that they would be planted in good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, 
the title of my message today is Do Not Pass Go. Uh, for, for those of you who play Monopoly, Do Not Pass Go. And, um, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Monopoly because I think that there's some things that we have to understand is no longer passive when we come to Jesus, but Jesus has monopolized the entire game. So we love the idea, we, we love the idea that, that the battle has already been won. Like the war is over. Jesus died and he is finished and he has done it. And so when, when you're in spiritual warfare and when you're praying and you're asking God for victory, you're not asking for the bigger victory. You're asking for like circumstances and little things, but it's really unfair. It's really unfair. And, and it's, it's like a bad movie because you've already seen the end of the movie, but you've still got to watch the movie. And that makes it really hard because the end of the movie is that you win. The end of the movie is that Jesus has died and before, like, like, for instance, when Jesus dies, what was actually supposed to happen? Let me tell you how the movie was supposed to go. Jesus was supposed to come, and he was supposed to be a good teacher and a good prophet. And then he was supposed to die, and then he was supposed to stay dead, and then at the end of the ages, he was supposed to resurrect with the rest of us. That's what was supposed to happen. That would have made so much more sense. But what God does is he interrupts the timeline of the movie completely, and he ruins it, right? And so, spoiler alert, he doesn't rise at the end of the age. He rises like three days later. It's like, this is too soon. You're not supposed to come back just yet. And so we get to know the end of the movie while we're in the middle of the movie. And so when we pray, it's simply knowing that God has already won. And so he has monopolized the entire game. And if we can receive that, if we can accept that, there's some other little things that he's monopolized that I want us to focus on as well. He's, he's monopolized your salvation. Many people have asked the, the question, can, can, can someone lose their salvation? I don't believe someone can lose their salvation, personally. Because if you lose your salvation, then you were never saved. Because salvation belongs to our God, the scriptures say. And salvation, it, it means that you're saved for eternity. And you can't convert eternity because it's eternal. And so if someone ever loses their salvation or loses their salvation, I would question if they were ever saved in, in the first place. But I think the idea here is, is, is that there's a big picture that we know that God has monopolized this entire game. That the love of God that you were supposed to experience after you die. How many of you know that you're supposed to die and then go to heaven and then see St. Peter at the pearly gates? And then he's supposed to check your name off a list. And then Jesus is supposed to come running out and hug you. How many of you know that you get to experience that love before you die? He's monopolized the game. He's monopolized the entire game. But the, the subject of, of do not pass go, I, I want to explain a few small details along the way that I believe is important that we cannot pass go on, and you'll understand as we get into it. Navigating through my Bible trying to find this passage. Um, I'm going to go to Malachi. Uh, and if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to the book of Malachi, and if you don't have your Bibles with you, there's some Bibles out there, or you could use the Bible on your phone. I'm going to ask you to highlight and to circle and all that stuff with a few different passages. So I have a lot I want to share. That's why I, I, I don't do notes when I have a lot to share, because it, it's just way too much. Um, so the book of Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. 
So the prophet Malachi is the last prophet that prophesies in the Old Testament. So for, for those of you who, who are kind of still trying to grasp the bigger picture, God calls Abraham, and Abraham um, has these children, and they become Israel, God's chosen people. And God chooses to talk to all the people of Israel through prophets. And so all throughout the Bible, you have all these prophets. You have Ezekiel, you have Daniel, you have Amos, you have Zephaniah, you have all these other prophets. And, and they're, they're speaking the word of God from heaven to the people. And then we have a prophet who comes along the scene. His name is Malachi. And Malachi is the very last prophet in the Old Testament. And after Malachi prophesies, there's about 400 years where God doesn't speak from heaven. How many of you have had a, like, you know, a season where you don't hear God? I- imagine 400 years. I- imagine being born in a season of 400 years where nobody's hearing God, where God isn't speaking to anyone. It makes it really hard to know how you should live, and especially when you have promises of what God is going to do. And, and, and one, of, one of the promises of what God is going to do is that he's going to speak, but he doesn't speak. And so you aren't even sure if the promises are real anymore because the first thing he said he was going to do is speak, and he's not speaking. So what about all these other promises that comes on the back of him speaking? It makes me question everything. 400 years, generations come and go, and they're losing their faith in this God who has not spoken. It's like living in a house with someone who's not talking to you. You guys ever been there? It's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to live in a house with someone who you know they're there. It's different if you're not there. It'd be easier if God just wasn't there. But they knew he was there, but he was just quiet. So for those of you who are married, you understand when someone isn't talking to you, how you feel like, like you want to say something, but you don't want to say something. And it's like, do I talk to them first? Because if I talk to them and then they, they don't talk back to me, it's just going to cause more friction. And, but you're in the house and it's really uncomfortable and you can't even watch TV because you can't even ask this person what they want to watch because you're not talking. And so the TV's off, and then the house is quiet, and nobody's talking. And then God forbid if you don't have kids, at least if you have kids, you could just play with the kids. But if you don't have kids, you're just sitting there waiting for who's going to talk first. For those of you who are not married, <laughs> just you wait, right? But, but, but uh, we work it out before we go to bed, before we go to sleep. We don't let the sun set in our anger, all that kind of good stuff. But during the days, it, it, can, it can be hostile in that house when two people just aren't talking. 400 years, God doesn't talk. 400 years, God doesn't say a word after Malachi. But I, I, I want you to see the last thing that God says. Because the, the last thing that God says before he goes silent is really important. Right? So here we go. Um, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to, I- to Israel through Malachi. So this is like an oracle. And an oracle sim- simply means that a person is speaking as if they were God. And so they're like, thus saith the Lord, and they're speaking for God. And the word of the Lord to Israel. So if you're in your Bible, I want you to underline those two words, to Israel. Because you ought to know that God is not speaking to a single person. I start off by saying that I'm more and more convinced that the body of Christ, that the family of God, has way more importance than we've put on it. God is not talking to a person. Now, I, I, I have two issues with this personally, and that is sometimes we read Scripture personally. Like, God is speaking this to me. But if you read Scripture contextually and historically, he's not talking to you. He's talking to a people. Because it's really easy for us to extract ourselves from the equation of the Israelites and think that God is talking to me. But the truth is, he's not talking to me, he's talking to us. 
that's going to be really specific and really important that God is talking to us. Because the us portion of this has more significance that I want to spell out for us, right? And so the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And, and, and God starts off with, I have loved you. That's how he starts off. I've, I've, I've loved you. So, it's, so those, those of you who are married, imagine you're in your house. You guys haven't talked for like six hours. All of a sudden it comes around, I've loved you. It's like super dramatic, right? And, and then you say, how, how, how have you loved me? Right? This is like the kind of tension. If, if you're not married, you'll, you'll get it soon, right? And, and, and so God is having this, 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 this dialogue, and he's talking to the people. And just to sum it up, basically what God is saying is, is, is that you're not happy, and neither am I. That's the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, God is saying, guys, you're not happy, and, and, and neither am I. Our relationship is not going that well. I'm going to run through just a a few portions of it here, right? Um, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. And if I'm the father, then where is the honor that's due to me? If I'm a master, then where is the respect that's due to me? Right? And so he's saying that there's something wrong with the relationship. So here's what was happening, why God says, I'm not happy and neither are you. The people were bringing their, their offering, their sacrifices to God, and they were supposed to bring the best to God, right? But in, in Malachi 1 verse 7, they're asking him, well, how have we had contempt for you? And in, in verse 7, is it there? Six? There we go. By offering defiled foods on my altar. But you ask, how have I defiled you? And then in, in verse 8, he says, you offer blind animals for sacrifice, lame and diseased animals. I want you to imagine the priest coming before the God who rocked the mountain where Moses was, get, wrote on stones. This God is serious. The earth is shaking. The mountain is smoking. God is speaking. The people are trembling. And God says, offer me your best. You better listen to that word. If, it, if it's coming from the God who's shaking the mountains and steaming the mountains, and, and, and he says, honor your mother and father. You better honor your mother and father, because that's where the fear of the Lord comes in, because it's not just what's being said, but it's who is saying it, because these aren't just cute little suggestions, as sometimes our society would make it like the moral compass. It's not the moral compass. It is the God of heaven who created everything, who has come down on the mountain, and he's saying the fear of the Lord works this way. This is not a suggestion. Do not steal. Do not lie. Honor your God. Bring him your best. And they started to bring him little defiled animals. They'd bring him a little starving cow that was disease-ridden, that they didn't want anymore. They'd bring it to the altar of God and say, God, we have this for you. I I imagine the people would wake up early in the morning and look at their cattle and say, you know what? I'm going to save this one for the Passover. I'm going to save this one for dinner. We're going to have a a, a birthday celebration for this one. And we're going to, you know what? Let's take, this one's about to die. And we know the priest is waiting for us to bring an offering. But I don't want to bring the one that's supposed to be for my son's birthday because we're about to bring it down and have the pinata. We're going to have a good time. But I can't bring that one. But where's the, which one should I bring? Which one would you bring? As you look over and you take inventory of your cattle and you make plans for what you're going to do with your cattle, 
and you're about to give one away for free. They take the sick one. This little blind cow just roaming around, bumping into stuff. It's like, this is what God is worth. Let's give him this little blind, raggedy cow that nobody needs anymore. This sickly one. Let's just bring him the sickly one. And God says, this is the problem with our relationship is that you no longer honor me enough to bring me your best because you don't think that I'm the best anymore. Come on. This is, this is the kind of like, you don't bring me flowers. Come on, right? Come on, ladies. It's kind of like, imagine, Im- imagine that your significant other brings somebody else flowers and hasn't brought you flowers for a long time. You better believe nobody's sleeping in that house. You better believe that f- all the flowers, every flower shop is going out of business if somebody is bringing flowers and, and, and he's not. I- I- imagine going home and somebody brought your spouse better gifts than you did. You better know who that joker is. And Why? right? Come on. This is, but, but God is, this is what God is saying. God is saying, saying, what are you doing with the best ones then? Because you're bringing me the leftovers. The book of Malachi, he's saying, I'm not happy and neither are you. That's the sum total of the book of Malachi. Let's, 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 go, let's go a little more here. Um, in, in, in Malachi 1 verse uh, 10, he says, I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will not accept the offering from your hand. He says, I, I, I won't take that. I won't take the sick cows. I won't take the, the leftovers because I'm the God of all creation. And this is the representation of your relationship with me. And you're bringing me your sick, your disease-ridden, blind, lame cows. How dare you? Right? So, then, and so God, is, God is having this conversation. And then in chapter 3 comes this spark of hope. Right? So Malachi chapter 3. God says, but here's what I'm going to do. I will send you a messenger who will prepare the way before me. How many of you know who that messenger is? John, John, John the Baptist, right? So this is 400 years before John the Baptist, because you remember John the Baptist is when God finally speaks again, right? So Malachi, I should do this, Malachi, he's not speaking, he stops there, but this is the last thing he says before John the Baptist comes. Chapter 3, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Now, if you look at this, this kind of language, I love this kind of language because God is really, he's breaking all of the tenses of everything. Because he says, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. And he says, the Lord who you are seeking, he will come to his temple. So, so it's like I and, and, and he. So he's basically saying the one who's going to come is going to be me. Did you guys follow that? This is, this is before, I know that it, it's not really an applause for us right now, but you have to understand that no one knew about Jesus. No one had an idea that God could come down in flesh and be a person. We saw God on the mountains who was shaking the mountains. Jesus can't shake a mountain. A man can't shake a mountain. How dare, how could God come into the person? But he says, this is what I'm going to do. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me, says God, which means that God is coming. Now, now here's... <laughs> Now, here's, here's the issue. God is saying, I'm not happy because you're bringing me sick cows, and I'm coming. That's, that's not a worship ceremony there. That's, that's not a time for worship. That's kind of like, whoa, you're what? The God who shook the mountains and the God who struck down people who conquered nations? You're coming? 
be terrified. Come on, guys. You guys, you guys are sleeping on me. I got to preach this somewhere else. Listen, this is, this is the God who, God is coming. See, Jesus, the Christmas story for us is cute. This is, this is not cute. Listen, the, the God, the God who you violated, the God whose command you have broken, the God who you no longer follow, the God who you disobey, that still small voice that you hear that you do not follow is the same God who created you and who has laws and who is just. And, and he says, where there is sin, there must be death. And the God who says, where there is sin, there must be death. And he says, he's coming and you know that you have sinned. This is not when we pick up a tambourine and sing our, free, our favorite worship songs, right? There's something different that's, that's happening here. So, so he says, I will come. And then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God is saying, I don't know what your problem is. Just like we were talking about earlier during worship, there's a hunger that I just can't articulate. There's a thirst that I just can't put my finger on. There's something that I feel like I'm working for, and I'm not getting it, but I don't know what it is. It's like looking for something that you don't know what it is. How many of you have ever been on the phone telling the person on the phone that you're looking for your phone? All right. <laughs> yes, right? We, we've been there. That, <laughs> for those of you who, who, who've never done it, you're on the phone, and you're having a conversation, and you're like, girl, I'm trying to find my phone. I don't know where my phone is. And then she's on the other end of the line. I don't know where your phone is. Look, look on the kitchen counter. And both of you are having this stupid conversation because you're on the phone. This is, this is kind of the feeling where God is saying that the one who you're seeking is going to come. Because then I don't know what you're looking for that's causing you to bring me these defiled animals. I don't know what you're looking for and trying to keep the best for yourself. But what you're really seeking for is coming. So, so there's like a hope, but there's also that fear. I don't know what. God is about to do. I live in that place, by the way. I don't know what God is about to do. They're like, there's some hope, but there's lots of fear. And I don't know what God is about to do, right? And so, so he says, he's coming to you. And then in verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Okay, uh-oh. Who can stand when he appears? So we like this kind of language, like, God, your glory, let your glory come. But these are people who he's saying, you have defiled my rules and my laws. Who can stand in the day when I'm coming? Right, so, so like, Lord, we just want to see your face. Not if you believe he's coming with judgment in his wings and you know that you have sinned and he's coming to judge it because there's no Savior and Messiah yet. I just want you to get the temperature of what's happening in, in Malachi here. Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. He's saying he's, he's going to be like bleach. He's coming like bleach to wash out stains. And some of you are like, I want my stains to be gone. Bleach burns, and, and, and fire burns. And so the refining process, and he's coming, but he's coming with fire, and it's, it's that good kind of bad kind of thing that's about to happen. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and purify silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them gold and silver, and then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings of righteousness. So he's, he's, he's going to come with fire. He's coming with bleach to wash out stains. And after he washes your filthy hearts who are bringing sickly cows, then I'll have some clean people who would bring me the best cows for their offerings. And I'm like, God, that sounds painful. 
that does not sound like Jesus. That sounds like the book of Revelation coming with fire in his eyes and justice in his wings and with a sword. I'm not ready for that kind of God yet. But that's the God that he says he's coming. All right, let's, let's go to chapter 4 really quick. Just a little survey on the book of Malachi. And then in, in, ch- in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Remember the law of my, of my servant Moses, the decree and the laws I gave him at Herob for all of Israel. So, so God is saying, remember Moses at the mountain, those tablets, those Ten Commandments. We remember those, live by those, and then he's quiet. And he doesn't say anything else. That's the end of Malachi. Remember the law of my servant Moses and decrees and all that I've gave him. Just, all right. And then we close the book and God doesn't say anything else. And then all of a sudden, 400 years later, comes on the scene this man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist seems to be the fulfillment of the very thing that Malachi spoke about. So John the Baptist is the messenger who's coming before God. So when John the Baptist comes and says, I'm the messenger who Malachi spoke about, the people would have been like, holy, he's coming. If this is the precursor, that means that Jesus... God is coming, and he's coming because we have sinned. He's coming because we have not put him first. This is, this, is, this is the kind of message that I would like to preach before Christmas as we prepare for the coming of our Lord and Savior, because this is the real temperature of the coming of our Lord and Savior, is that it is, it, it is God who is coming, and they have no clue what to expect. And so Jesus comes, and, and, and he's born, and, 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 and he's, he's baptized by John the Baptist. We know the story. And then after he's baptized by John the Baptist, he goes into the wilderness, and he's tested, and then he comes down, and then he calls some of his disciples. So if you're in your Bible, it's, it's literally this. You, you go from Malachi chapter 4, and you just turn a few pages, and this is what's next. But it's, it's in perfect succession. And then in Matthew 3, I'm going to go from Matthew 3 here. So after all this has happened, 400 years later, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That means that the thing that God promised is about to happen, right? And then, and then he's, he's, he's baptized, and then he preaches, and then he calls his first disciples. And then I want you to go to Matthew 4, verse 23. Matthew 4, verse 23, so Jesus is born, Jesus comes, and he's going all throughout Galilee, and he's teaching. Everyone say teaching. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming. Everyone say proclaiming. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing. Everyone say healing. Healing, and he's healing every kind of disease and sickness amongst the Jewish people. Now, I want you to understand that these are the same Jewish people who God spoke to in Malachi, and Jesus comes, and he's teaching in their synagogues. And the synagogues that he's teaching in, it has the same scroll that, that, that he says, you ought to listen to this and follow this. And Jesus is teaching out of that same scroll, and he's proclaiming the good news, and he's healing every kind of diseases amongst the Jewish people. And so you were expecting God to come, and he was about to, to come in this kind of anger, but he comes, and he's healing and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God that's coming near. Verse 24, and news about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill in various diseases and suffering uh, pain and demon-possessed. So uh, this is another sermon 
But, but if anyone is looking to write a sermon, this is a, good, this is a good place to study your Bible on or to do some sermon prep. Here it is. The people were bringing animals who were blind. Jesus comes and heals blind people. They were bringing those who were ill, who were sickly. Jesus comes and heals the sick. They were bringing lame animals. Jesus comes and he heals. The very thing that the people were bringing God as an irreputable sacrifice, that it was dirty and disgusting. Jesus, on the other hand, comes and he's, he's healing those very same things that are now in the people. And if you want to go deeper into your study, I want you to look at the fact that the animals that you were bringing was a representation of you. That's why in the book of Leviticus, when, when they sacrifice the animals, they put their hand on the animal and say, Lord, let it be with this animal as it should be for me. Kill him, not me. And then they would run away, and then the animal would die in proxy of them, right? And, and, and so when they sacrificed a blind animal, it, it, it was like they weren't blind, though, but the animal was blind. And then Jesus comes, and he's under—that's another sermon, but you could do some study on that. I, I, th- I thought it was really good for those of you who care. And then so in, in, in Matthew 4, verse 25, I want you to circle where it says large crowds. Are you, are, perfect. You're there with me. Large, large crowds from Galilee— and from the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea, and from the regions all across the Jordan, follow him. So what's happening here is that people are hearing about him, right? And in verse 24, it says news spread about him, and then people started following him. I want you to ask yourself the question, what are they saying about Jesus? What do you think they're saying about Jesus? We're going to get interactive. You could shout something at me. What do you think they're saying about Jesus that's making people come follow him? He's healing people! Come on, what else? What are they saying about Jesus? All right, here we go. See, now I'm asking questions, so now you got to pay attention. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. And news about him spread all over Syria. And, and because of the news, people brought to him all who were ill with various kinds of d- diseases and suffering from pain and the demon-possessed and those who were having seizures and those who were paralyzed, and he healed them, and then large crowds followed him. What were they saying about this man that spread everywhere that he hadn't even been yet? What, kind of, what kinds of things were they saying? He has authority. Come on. He's, he's a prophet. He's the Messiah. He's a teacher. So they're saying all these great things about Jesus, and people are like, what, what? Okay, I've got to go to Galilee. I've got to go to where Jesus is. I've got to go to where he is, because I've heard that he's coming, and he doesn't sound like the guy from Malachi. He sounds like he's doing something greater, and it's going to be for our benefit. In fact, he doesn't even seem to be following the law. They're like, listen, so you gotta, you've got to track with me here. Look at the people who were, who were coming. The people who were coming were the ones who were sick. Do you know what sick people represented to the Israelites? They were the ones who were the outcasts. They were the ones who didn't matter anymore. And they had the law. They had the Mishnah, which gave them permission to disregard and mistreat people who were already being abused by the circumstances of life. Kind of like when Christians had permission to say certain things about certain people because our book gave us the authority to do so. It's okay for you to call out whatever it is. I'm just quoting scripture, brother. I'm just telling you what the book says. Imagine this amplified. So the sick people, the disease-ridden people, heard that this man had come, and he was teaching in the synagogues, and he was bringing a different kind 
of message that would benefit them. And so they were like, I, I need to go. Because the regular guys who were in the synagogues weren't teaching this kind of way. What they were teaching kept us on the outside, but what he's teaching, he's bringing us on the inside. And they were like, that's why I'm going to leave all of Samaria, all of Judea. They're coming to follow this man because he seems to be teaching from the scripture, but he's teaching something different from the scriptures. You guys follow me? So it's almost like they have this thing where it's like maybe God, he was supposed to kill sinners, but he's like saving sinners. He was supposed to come, the bleach was supposed to come and burn, the fire was supposed to burn, but Jesus is coming and he's healing. It's like, come, come, you who are sick. No, not you who are well, you won't appreciate him. People who are well, you won't appreciate this. People who are sick are going to appreciate this. So I'm bringing sick people. I'm bringing lame people. For those of you who've never had an issue in your life, you probably won't even resonate with this portion of the sermon. But Jesus says that I came for people who are sick because people who are well will never understand me. In fact, it's the well people who have the time to debate and to argue about who Jesus is, and their words would eventually string them up on a cross. But the sick people were like, give me more of Jesus. Give me more of Jesus. No, no, I, don't, don't hold him back. Jesus says, let him scrape through the roof if he wants to. Let them come to me if they want to, because you are privileged. And how dare you, with your privileged tongue, keep those who are trying to come to me to do the thing that I've come to do. I'm trying to set people free. He says, he says to the Pharisees, you won't enter into the kingdom, and you're keeping people back from coming too. You can't appreciate this if you've been privileged. Privileged people cannot appreciate Jesus who comes like this. For those of you who've ever lived from paycheck to paycheck and just haven't gotten a break. For those of you who've ever had the government take something from you that wasn't theirs. For those of you who've ever been wrongly accused of something. For those of you who've ever lost somebody that meant something to you and couldn't get over it. For those of you who've ever gone through something, Jesus comes. Jesus comes. But don't worry for the person who isn't clapping because they don't get it yet. It, 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 took, it, took, it took me, I, I wasn't, I, I was probably about 19 or 20 years old before I ever lost someone who was close to me. And when people lost someone who was close to them, I was like, suck it up and stop crying, girl. Death is promised to us all. Because I was privileged to never have lost someone close to me. Oh, but when sickness hits your own body, for those of you who see sick people and you don't even think to pray for them, you let sickness hit your body for a second and you would wish that somebody would stretch out a hand and pray for you. You wait until, you be, 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 because it's not, a, whatever, this is, so, so these are the people who are coming. These are the people who are coming. The people who are coming to Jesus are not the ones who can appreciate this, who should be like, God, oh, the, the God is coming. These are the people who are like, he's breaking the law kind of. But I got to get in on some of this healing. Whoa, he, he's healing sinners? Because he said that he was going to condemn sinners. Let me get in on some of this. It got so bad. Let me tell you how bad it got. It, it got so bad. In Matthew 5, Jesus started to say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. What? The poor in spirit? The unspiritual? Those are people who are not really spiritual, by the way. Those are the people who are just kind of like your regular people. Those aren't the people who get to come to the front of the stage. Those aren't the people who get to sing on the mics. Those are the people who feel like, I don't have a voice. I don't really have giftings. I don't really know if I could do anything for Jesus. I don't really belong in the church. I don't, I'm, I'm just going to sit in the back. I'm going to come at 1130. Jesus says, blessed are they. Not, 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 not us. He says, blessed are they. Blew people's mind. 
What? He's turning this whole thing around. Imagine that. Imagine if the whole ship was turning. He said things like Matthew 5 verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn. He said, yeah, those are the ones. He's turning the whole ship around. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. I love this one in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the ones that don't have it. Those are the ones who, who, are, who are not righteous. Blessed are the unrighteous? What? He is corrupting the book. He's corrupting the book. If he's God, he's saying ungodly things. He's a blasphemer. He's the devil himself. This is what they said about him because of this. Let me tell you how bad it got. It got so bad. The people thought that Jesus was actually taking the law. It's so important that Jesus was a Jew, by the way, for those of you who try to, who are, I know you all wouldn't do it, but, but who, who preach this kind of re- replacement theology. Jesus is a Jew. He was a Jew. He's always going to be a Jew. When you get t- to heaven, he's not going to be a Cuban guy. Who, 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 he, he is going to be a Jewish man. He is a Jewish man, and he's coming back as a Jewish man. In fact, when you look at pictures from people from the Middle East, Jesus looks more like them than the European Jesus. I don't even like European Jesus because European Jesus has nothing to do with the Middle Eastern kind of Jesus that I read in the scripture. And so when we see the side profile, the guy with the beard who has like light eyes and he's really like, like I remember some people who are watching like some of these, they're like, Jesus, is, he's too good looking to watch. I feel wrong watching good looking Jesus. That's not what they said. They said sexy, but I can't say sexy from the stage. But they said, we don't feel comfortable looking at this kind of Jesus because they paint Jesus as this picture of this great European man. But Jesus, it's important that Jesus was Jewish. Let me tell you why. Because the fact that Jesus was Jewish means that he was representing the Jewish God. He was representing the God who had proven himself. He, he, this wasn't the God who was a result of philosophy, of Socrates and Aristotle. This wasn't the kind of God like the Greek gods who were like Zeus, who really, it was just an idea. And a philo- This was the God who they saw bring people out of Egypt and part of the Red Sea. Okay, maybe there's, and then he says that he's a creator. This is the kind of God who took 500 people and whooped up on 500,000 people. Maybe there's something to start to believe about him. This is the kind of God who says, I'm going to strike down that nation and that nation, and he does it. So when Jesus comes on the wave of that God, it's it's really important that he doesn't come as a different religion, as a different person, because he's taking the wave of who we understand God is. In the beginning, he created. He's the creator. He's love. He's justice. He's mercy. He parts the Red Sea with power. This is the same God who drops down in Jesus. And it's really important that you understand that this is who Jesus is saying that he is. And he's coming and he's teaching these things in Matthew 5, verse 17. It got so bad that Jesus says, go there from, let me show you how bad it got. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. That's how bad it got. He sat down to teach them. And as he's teaching them, he says, blessed are you and you, the unrighteous, you're blessed, you're welcome. And they're like, oh, forget the book. They were probably taking out their scrolls and throwing it away. We don't need the book anymore. He's changing everything. Jesus is changing everything. He said, no, 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 no. Don't you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, it's really important that you understand that Jesus is coming on the waves of the Old Testament. God, because he's saying, I'm not giving you a new thing. I'm building on to the old thing. 
And unless you, gra- unless you grasp the old thing, you won't get the new thing, so don't pass go. Don't pass go. I've given you the laws and the prophets. And so if you think that God, the unchangeable God, because in, in Malachi he says, I'm God who doesn't change, right? He, but if you think that God is coming and he's going to throw out the laws and the prophets and he's going to make it rain on sinners and he's going to call people who are unrighteous, righteous, as if God is going to lie about your situation, God doesn't lie to you. He comes on the wave of justice and he makes the thing actually change. But he says, here's what you've got to understand. I'm not coming to throw the law out. I'm coming to give you the fulfillment of them. But at some point, you've got to plug in with what the law actually says. Let me show you what I mean. So, so it, it got so bad that Jesus started to, to teach. Don't think that I'm getting rid of this. Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said. If you're in your Bible, I want you to circle that. You have heard. And then in verse 22, but I tell you. You have heard. That's the law. But I tell you, this is the fulfillment. So you have heard is the stuff that you have to start at. You've got to start at the you've heard to really get the fulfillment of the but I tell you. He says, I'm not replacing it. I'm saying that if you, if, if you can get this streamline, if you start at go, you have a much better chance at finishing this thing strong. Here we go. You've heard it said of people long ago, that's Moses, that you shall not murder. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So here's what he's saying. Jesus is not saying, as long as you're not angry, you can murder people. Jesus is not saying, I'm giving you a new law. Just don't be angry. But you can kill them, though. Just kill them with a smile. Like before you drive that knife, just say something nice to them. I love you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you've heard it said. Still don't kill people. But that was just a start. Now, you you can't be angry with them either. You got to keep this thing going and then start this thing also to get the full movement of the fulfillment of what God is trying to do. Let's go to another one. In Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed. He's, he's not saying, as long as you don't look at her, you could do it. Guess, follow me. Don't pass, go. Still, don't do the deed. But on top of not doing the deed is also now if you, so you should have mastered this thing already. This is the place where we're going to start at. We're all in agreement that you just can't violate your spouse. We all understand that. That's just the beginning, though. Some of you are like, well, I've been fighting for that beginning. This is th- that's a really hard beginning. Jesus says that was just the start. But if you, if you hold on to that belief, and if you don't violate, and if you don't try to change that or, or, or to compromise that truth, if you just, adultery is wrong, unchangeable. That's the beginning. Jesus comes and says, now, on top of that, I'm going to build on something that's going to make love even better. Because love is going to get so much better that even though you're not doing the act, I'm going to work on your heart now. Something deeper is changing, but you can't pass go. You can't pass go. Let's look at another one. It has been said, Matthew 5, verse 31. I want you to underline those. Matthew 5, 21, 
Matthew 5, 27, Matthew 5, 31, it has been said. It has been said, but I say. It has been said, and now I say. The people were like, whoa, we thought you were replacing these laws. No, 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 no. I'm coming, this is how I'm going to refine it. I'm going to take you back in a minute. So uh, where are we at? We're at Matthew 5, 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. So he's saying, yeah, you could have just divorced anybody before. That's a good foundation. Marriage belongs to God. So don't lose that. But now I'm going to add on to that something that's going to make marriage even more sacred. And I'm, he's, I'm getting closer to what God's intentions were. Matthew 5.38, you've heard it said. Matthew 5.39, but I tell you. Matthew, Matthew 5.43, you've heard it said. Matthew 5.44, but I tell you. Jesus is saying, don't pass go. You can't just do the New Testament thing and say that what belongs in the Old Testament is for the Old Testament God, because God has come on the wave of the Old Testament God, and he's dropped in the New Testament in the person of Christ, and he's saying, I'm taking those things which you couldn't understand and couldn't do in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, I'm giving you power to actually do these things, but the moment that you lose your beginning, if you don't understand what I'm trying to do in the Old Testament, and you just lose it, this is why any kind of a religion that comes up and doesn't grasp the, the concept of the Old Testament God, it is a cult. It becomes a cult because you lose the history of what God is doing, and it becomes all lovey-dovey, touchy-feely, because you're trying to build on the, but I say. And you leave out that you've heard it been said. Cults always start with, but I say. Oh, but Jesus said. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus said, just love everybody. We just gotta love everybody. Oh, brother, that's not love. I'm becoming more convinced that the body of Christ matters to each other. I believe that we matter to each other. And, and I used to have this idea. I grew up this way. I grew up like what happens in this house stays in this house because it's nobody's business. Anybody else grew up like that? You keep secrets in your house. Because anybody who's outside your house don't need to know what goes on in your house. In fact, it got so bad in my house that there was like a house within a house. And so it was like if something happened in the house— and someone who is in another room doesn't see it, they don't need to know about it. It's not their business. And then, in fact, and for some of us, it's gotten so private that if it happens inside your heart, it ain't nobody's business. And we lose accountability. We lose connectivity. Because we grew up in this culture of, it's in my house and it's my business. I've become more and more convinced that the more that we lose that, because I used to say that. Well, my wife used to tell me stuff like, baby, that's their business. And, and, and <laughs> I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to give you green lights to do this, but whatever, it's going to be an obvious problem. Here, so, so <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing, listen. Here's the thing. My wife used to tell me things, and I used to think that she was gossiping. But she was actually caring about someone else and I thought I was holier than she was. And so I was trying to tell her, baby, 
Don't you be gossiping because the word of God says, and she was like, no, 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 I'm trying to invite you into intercession and prayer because they matter to us too. And I'm like, no, nah, that's gossiping. And I couldn't draw the line because I didn't understand what was happening because, because, I, because I grew up in the context of no connectivity. Your house is your business, and what happens out there is none of anybody else's business. Can you go back to Malachi 1 for me, please? Malachi 1 verse 1 God starts out by saying that he's talking, the word of the Lord is not coming to the individual, but the word of the Lord is coming to the people of Israel. It is coming to all of the Israelites. Verse, verse one, right? The word of the, the, the Lord came to Israel, the people. Came to the people. Just want to make sure I come and drop that back because that's going to be really important at the end. Love for your enemies. Give to the needy. You got to start at the foundation. You got to start with grasping and believing the Old Testament. What God says there. Even, even if you feel like it's not relative today. Even the ones in Leviticus. Yeah, we we don't practice some of those things. But you've got to understand the concept and the content of the God who gave us those things. Let's go to Matthew 23. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew 23. I just want to share out of Matthew 23 because this happens all throughout Jesus' life. All throughout Jesus' life. Jesus talks to the Pharisees because now they're asking him questions about the Old Testament and what he's doing. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees and you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, which are mint and dill and cumin because they weren't even given animals anymore. They were just tithing these little bits and pieces and then once a year they would come and give an animal. He says, yeah, you're given a tenth or the tithe of your mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the, the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I want you to stop right there. Much of the church has done the exact opposite of what I'm saying here to where we say no more dill and mint and cumin. We just need to give God justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But Jesus says you should have practiced the latter. Still give your dill and mint and cumin without neglecting the former. That means that I don't just get to come into the New Testament Jesus and say, but he's saying I shouldn't tithe anymore. He's not saying to murder people either. He's saying the foundation still stands. He says you should, you, you should have practiced the latter, which is you give a tenth of your spices without neglecting the former, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I had a conversation with someone this past week. Um, and, and they told me I had to share this. And I'm not going to share all of the details of it. But I shared that I, 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 I don't believe in the Old Testament concept of tithing. Now my board has some issues with this because, because it gets sticky. Some of you are like, okay, let me wait to see what he said before I clap. Right? Because, because I know this joker, and sometimes he says something, and he turns the corner, and then I clapped, and I'm like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have clapped because I showed my hand, and I gave my cards away. Now everybody knows I don't tithe. <laughs> it's the foundation. 10% of your income 
to the body of Christ, to your local church, is the foundation. It is not an Old Testament concept to be put away with. I also believe that you shouldn't murder. But if that's the greatest ministry I have for you, imagine if something was happening with you and your spouse and I said, well, girl, just, just don't kill him. Ah, just, just, just don't kill him. It's like, ah, like, oh, there's something happening with me and my wife. Well, did you kill her? No. Well, then you're good with God. <laughs> what you coming to the pastor for? But there's more than that. Yeah, but let me talk to you about that anger, though. Or if you come to me, I'm mad at my wife. But I didn't kill her, though, so I'm good, right? No, let me talk to you about that anger. Let me talk to you about that, the, the feistiness. When, when you blow up, let me talk to you about the way that you mistreat her. Let me talk to you about the names that you call her. In fact, you may not even have said those names, but let me tell you about the names that you internally call her under your breath, even though she doesn't hear it. But I didn't kill her, though. We start at go, and we don't pass go. It is not within the New Testament church concept or philosophy that you can give an offering. God is not asking for $10. He's asking for 10%. And I say this as someone who does not believe that the Old Testament crosses over into the New Testament and dies there. It starts at 10% starts at 10%. But but let me tell you what happens after 10%. Because after 10%, you've got to understand why the 10% in the first place. So there's a point in time where my wife and I, where we we made enough money, and 10% really wasn't much for us. We we could write 10%. And we were here. We were part of the Dravinia church. We got married, and and 10% wasn't really a stretch for us. Because we made pretty decent money. And we live very modestly as well. So my 10%, you guys remember the passages where the one comes, and he's like, God, I'm giving him a good, and then the widow's might, she comes and gives what she has. It wasn't necessarily like that. But I don't believe that God told me 10% because he wanted my obedience. I've said this before. He wanted my heart. He wanted my heart. And, and I believe that God started at 10% in the Old Testament because he was getting ready to do something greater in the New Testament. He started with don't murder in the Old Testament because you didn't have the Spirit of God to quench your anger and teach you to love. So he had to tell you, don't you murder her. <laughs> Can you imagine telling someone not to murder somebody? How many of you had to give that kind of a counsel? In the Old Testament, they gave it all the time. Don't murder her, though. But for us, we understand, it's kind of built in. No one's ever told me not to murder. Any- well, I, I was a cop. They told me to not murder people. But, but, but outside of that, no one's ever told you to not murder anybody. It's just kind of assumed that you won't murder anybody. You understand that you shouldn't murder anybody. I shouldn't have to tell you to give the 10%. This is, this is <laughs> I've been pastoring the church for two years now. This is the first time I've talked about the 10%. People have sent me emails. Danville, you've never talked about tithing. Some of you have sent me emails. Danville, why do you never talk about tithing? <laughs> and my board, you got to talk about tithing. Why don't you? Because it's kind of, it should be built in there. Like, like don't murder. 
commit adultery. Don't break your deeds. Give 10%. Because we start at go. And then after that, I want to teach you how to love your wife. I want to teach you how to push through so you can carry out your deeds. I want to work on, oh, oh, okay, 10%. Now, how can we take care of these other needs? How, how, can you, how, how, can, how can we grow beyond this? But we're still working on, because to me, it feels like I'm telling you not to murder. And I'm like, that just, it's just a really weird thing for my heart to grasp because I believe that the New Testament comes to do something greater than this, and we should have kind of been there already. And some wife and I tithe, and it wasn't stretching us. And I believe that the tithe is there to stretch you. Let me tell you what the 10% does. The, the 10%, for those of you who don't tithe, let me tell you what 10% looks like. 10% looks like if you make $1,000, how much of that is 10%? 100. If you make $2,000, how much of that is 10%? 200. So here's what that means. If you make $1,000 and you give how much? That means you have how much to live off of? 900. That means that you've got to cut out some things in your life for the purposes of this. That's the start. Now, the problem is that my wife and I, we gave 10%, and we still had more. We still had an abundance. We still, it wasn't a stretch. It, it, it didn't do the, we didn't have to cut anything out. It, it, he's coming with the refiner's fire. Who can stand when he comes? Because he's about to call you to go higher and to give more. Lord, I want more. So do I. <laughs> Come on, right? And, and, and so we started to, all right, let's give 10%. And then let's, let's give a certain portion to different ministries and missionaries. All right, so we started doing that. It still wasn't a stretch. So we said, all right, let's give 10%. And then let's give like 5% out of what we have at the end of the month. All right? before we go into the next month, because next month, I don't want to live off of last month. Let's tithe off of that. So that way next month we have to stretch and wrestle and pray to God. God, how do I spend this money that you're blessing me with? What should I be buying? What should I not be buying? If I don't need to come to you anymore, the 10% has lost its point. The point is, back to Malachi, your cattle. Which one should I give to the Lord? Let's say all of them are well. Let's say you don't have a blind cow. Let's say one of them isn't sickly or having seizures, and they're all pretty good. I said, Lord, I just, can you get someone to inspect them so I can give the best one? Because, Lord, I, which one do you want? Because it forces me to come to him. This is all relational. This is all relational. And so we started to give about 30%. And that became a stretch for us. That's when we were like, whoa, we don't have any money to go out. I was like, all right, good, 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 good. Good, because now we have to trust him. Now we have to trust him. That's the point in the first place. God doesn't want your money. God doesn't care about your little raggedy cows. He doesn't want cows. He gave you the cows. But it's that, it's your faithfulness that he's looking for always and throughout. But here's the thing that he's after. Here's, here's why you can't pass go. Because 10% is the start, and then where he's going is completely different. I want you to go to the book of Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. We're almost done. 
You guys okay? You guys enjoying this? It's good? It's speaking to your heart? It's, it's speaking to your wallet? <laughs> All right. You know, I, and, and, and one of the main things, honestly, that I've, I've just, I always felt that it, it, it's, there's certain things in my life that I need to go down on my knees every single day to pray and to thank God for every day. There's certain things in my life that like certain decisions I make, like I know I need to make them from this kind of a position. And I don't pray this way typically because I believe that you need to pray this way, but I pray this way because I stand a lot. Even when I preach, someone told me on, on Wednesday that you preach on your tippy toes. And, and I was like, that makes me really self-conscious. But I, I like to pray this way because it brings me to a, to a place of humility. Like, like, God, I just, like, I don't even know what, I don't know what to do anymore. Sometimes I used to swear when I pray because I was so frustrated. Some of you know what I mean. When you have a real relationship with God. It's like, I'm, I'm not trying to be cute right now. This isn't, this isn't cute time. This is, this is God. I've given everything you've said I should give. And, and, and I'm doing everything you said I should do. And I just don't get it. Because sometimes we could do it from, from here, right? God, I just, we just don't. But, but you pray differently when you get down here. God, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We gave everything. We, the boy, we, we gave, Lord, we don't know what else to do, Lord. Excuse me, Lord, I walked away from my career to pastor a church, and, 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 and every few weeks I would get these emails about little petty things that didn't matter, but you called me to love God. I don't know what to do. I just, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm doing what I'm called to do, and I just don't get it. And two years later, I'm like, God, you, I've fallen in love with the body, and I love where I'm at, and, and I have a vision. I have a five-year vision for the Doral Vineyard, and, and you're calling me out, and people are disappointed, and, and I, I, God, I don't know what to do. Sometimes your prayer's got to get down here. God, I just don't know what to do. Sometimes you got to, let me tell you something about the, the glory of God. The glory of God means the weight of God. Many of us want the presence of God, but the presence of God comes with the weight of his glory. And you can't have the presence without the weight. That's why in Malachi it says, who can stand in his presence? Because when his presence comes, it makes everything falls down because the weight of his glory is there. And sometimes you've got to put yourself in a position where you need the weight of his glory to move. And if you don't need the weight of his glory, Jesus came to those who needed him. That's why those who didn't need him couldn't appreciate him. Sometimes you've got to give enough until you need him. I give 30% because 30% is the point where it brings me here. At 10%, I'm just not down there, and I don't need him. And I don't want to miss what Jesus is doing when he comes. I don't want to be one of those who are saying, but you're breaking your own laws, and you're healing people who shouldn't be healed. I don't want to be one of those people. And so I give so I can get me down here. I follow when I don't understand him. I don't understand what he's doing. I'm speaking to some of you privately. I don't know what God is doing in this season in my life. I told Pastor Kevin yesterday, I said, am I ruining my ministry and my family? <laughs> because I find myself down here. Sometimes I don't even tell my wife. I'm like, hey, I'm going to bed early because I need to just be here. I just need to, to be here because, I need, because I'm asking for the weight of his glory. And the weight of his glory, who can stand 
in the weight of his glory. This is, listen, I don't know what kind of Christian you've chosen to be. I don't know what kind of Jesus you've chosen to follow. But God says, either you humble yourself or I'm going to humble you. And I've chosen to put, and I'm encouraging you to put yourself in a humble position that you choose to be humble. Because when you choose to be humble, all that means is that the preordained weight of his glory. That means that the glory hasn't even come yet, but you're preparing and bracing yourself for the weight of the glory that's about to come. And it takes you lower. God, I haven't felt anything yet. For those of you who wait until you feel something tingly before you pray, I haven't felt it yet. But I'm bracing myself for the weight of the glory because the priests of the Arks of the Covenant, they carried it on their backs. How many of you know that? They carried it on their backs. You, you remember when David was, was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back and it fell over and they picked it up because they had it on a cart. Oh my God. They had it on a cart. They had it on a cart. Some of you trying to carry the weight of the glory on a cart. But there was a ditch and the cart got knocked over. And somebody reached out and tried to grab it, and he died. Let me tell you why he died. Who can stand in the way of his glory? But, 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 but the, the, there were some men who were there, and he said, the Levites, I want you to pick them up on each hand. And it was heavy, and they carried the weight of the, the Lord's glory, and David danced in front of them. And now we're carrying the presence of God because we're carrying it on our backs and not on carts. I've humbled myself because if you don't humble yourself, he will humble you. Jesus says, humble yourself. Come and humble yourself. This is God's point. I know where I'm at. Acts, Acts 2.44. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. This is where God is trying to get to. So this, this is why we start at 10%. Can you go to the next one? Acts 4.32. All the believers, one heart, one mind. No one claimed that anything of their possession was their own. That's where he's trying to get to. That's the book of Acts. This was after Pentecost came. The glory came. They were in the temple. They were given 10%. God said, yeah, 10% was just the go. So for those of you who passed go, you missed the, pl- you, you, you missed the place of carrying the glory. But he says, when you pass go, this is where I'm aimed at. I'm aimed at a place where no one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything that they had. How many, how many of you know that's 100%? Are you going to tell me I got to give 100%? <laughs> How many of you know that's 100%? Acts, go there for me. There's a little more. Acts 2. It is 100% that God is aiming at. Let me tell you why. Because he wants all of you. It give me five minutes, and I'm going to wrap it up. That's not like a pastor five minutes. That's a real five minutes. <laughs> Acts 5, I'm sorry, Acts Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. Powerfully at work in them all. And there was no need amongst them. There was no needy person there. 
you start at 10% because God is trying to get you somewhere else. Let's go back to Malachi and then we'll be finished. Malachi chapter 3, this is where we were. So the promise said, I'm going to send the messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord who you're seeking, he's going to come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire, he will come. Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. But who can endure in the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap, and he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and offerings in Judah and, and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. I want you to jump down to Malachi 3 verse 6. The Lord said, I do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time your ancestors turned away from my decrees and have not kept them, this is what he says. He says, return to me, and I'll return to you. This is an invitation. He says, return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? <laughs> will a mere mortal rob God? Now, I hate the word rob here because I work in law enforcement. That's not, it's, that the proper word is actually cheating. Will a mere man cheat God? Verse 8, but you ask, how are we robbing you or how are we cheating you? He says, in tithes and offering. He's talking about the cows. You remember the whole thing that we talked about? He said, that's how you're cheating me. Now, there's two things mentioned there. There's tithes and the offering. Verse 9, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. All the curses, for those of you who think a curse is not something that comes upon you, a curse is something that's removed from you. Curse means that the presence of God has been removed. In the Old Testament, it's the idea of Ichabod, the glory gone. That's what a curse is. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jesus says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? The curse means that the presence of God has been moved from a thing. It doesn't mean that the devil's moving in. It means that God has somehow moved out. That's, that's what it means to be cursed. So it says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then in, in, in verse 10, Malachi 3.10, how many of you love this verse? This is the verse we always talk about when we talk about tithing. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. All right, listen up. I'm going to end here. I'm going to end here. You got that up there? <laughs> I'm already sweating. I'm not going to go in. Listen, God says to bring the whole tithe. Let me tell you what God doesn't mean. It'll be stupid for God. Okay, tithe means tenth. It'll be stupid for God to, to, to say, bring the whole tenth. Because the, the, the whole tenth if he said, bring half the tenth, then it wouldn't be tenth. Tithe means the tenth. When God says brings the whole tithe, he doesn't mean don't bring 8%. Though you shouldn't bring 8%, but that's not what he means. He's not telling you to make sure it's 10%. Let me tell you what he's telling you. 
He's saying, make sure everybody brings 10%. That's the whole tithe. The whole tithe doesn't mean all 10% of it. It means all, because you remember at the beginning, he's talking to Israel. And, and when he's right here, he says, he says that there's a curse amongst your nation. Sometimes we like to personalize scripture for ourselves in me, in my own house. And if I tithe, then God is going to bless me. And I believe that God blesses you if you tithe. But I believe that the blessing actually flows when everybody chips in and does it. Because the Ark of the Covenant has four corners, and there's more than one person carrying the Ark. The man who fell down when, he was, when the Ark was, he tried to do it by himself. God says, you will not carry the Ark of the Covenant by yourself. There better be worshiping in the front, and four people set up around it, and two extra at the side, because every man has to carry their own weight. And so carrying the whole tithe doesn't mean to bring your whole 10%, because tithe already means your whole 10%. The word whole there means all of you. It means all of you bring the whole 10%. And when all of us bring the whole 10%, he says, this says the Lord. Here's what I'm going to do. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there'll be no room to store it. Not in your house, because it's not personal to you. I used to think that what my neighbors did didn't matter. I used to not want to keep anyone accountable because I thought that you live your own life and it's your own privacy. I'm learning more and more about family. I'm learning more about what it means to be a body of Christ. I'm, I'm learning more and more that, that, that you can talk to me about money when something's wrong, but I want to talk to you about 10% because it's right. Because we talk about money so much. In fact, when you leave here, you're probably going to talk about money because you're probably going to find somewhere to go eat. You're going to talk about how you got to get to work tomorrow. That's all about money too. How are you going to spend it? How are you going to save it? How are you going to prosper it? How are you going to keep it? How are you going to multiply it? Who's going to get it? Who's not going to get it? How much do I have left? How much is this going to cost? Everything around us revolves around this idea of money, and we need to talk about it. Everyone. And he says, when everyone does it, he says, I'm going to pour out a blessing. And so if I tithe, and everyone in this church tithes, I'll even take it further, if everyone in the Doral Vineyard tithes, and those jokers at the Miami Vineyard isn't tithing, God is talking to Israel. God built a church. Jesus didn't die for Doral Vineyard. Jesus died for the body of Christ that's bigger than Doral Vineyard. And so I believe that when God says you're robbing me or when you're cheating me, let me tell you why we're cheating God. We're cheating God for the simple fact that God is trying to pour out his blessings on everyone. God is trying to do something universal and worldwide. If you don't do your part, he says, I don't get to pour it out in the whole place. He says, everyone has to bring their own. And we start at this place. We start by not murdering. We start by not committing adultery. But eventually, it needs to turn to love. Eventually, it needs to go further. We start with 10%. And, and, and here's why we started giving 30. Because when you start giving 10, he's going to bless you. And how many of that your blessing can become a burden because you can have so much money that you no longer trust God even when you're tithing? That's Denville's testimony. And so the purpose is that I, I was tithing and God was blessing me. And I was like, well, I'm tithing. That was just the start. And I'm giving you overflow, so it needs to flow over into other things in other places. But you can't pass go. You got to start at go. 
So in this, in this room today, I, 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 one, I want to encourage you, if this idea of tithing, not an offering, because the offering simply means I'm going to give a $5 bill, I'm going to give $20, that's an offering, that means you have passed go. It starts with 10. Then he's going to overflow. Then when he gets overflow, that means that your back just got stronger. And that means that when your back gets stronger, he's going to pour out more. And so it grows. That's how you start to take care of the orphans and the widows. That's, that's how the overflow happens, how there was no one in need because we started at go. So let's stand together. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for the invitation to be a body. God, I thank you that you have invited us to bring the whole tithe. God, I thank you that you've invited us into something that you're going to bless us more so that we can choose this place of humility. God, I thank you that you humble the proud, Lord, but that Jesus calls us to humble ourselves if we ought to follow him. Father, and today we choose the place of humility, Father. We choose the weak things, Lord. We, we choose to submit to you and to obey you, even in places that we don't fully understand, Father. I speak to hearts right now, God, who, who, who feel convicted, Father, that there won't be condemnation in the wave of conviction, Father, but that your spirit would move right Fully, God, that we would understand that it's not just about us, that it's not just about my 10%, it's not just about my house, it's not just about overflowing in my pocket, but that it is about the larger body, it's about the larger church, and that you're doing something much bigger than we anticipated. Father, we just invite you to come into this place, Lord. That you would continue the work on our hearts that you have so beautifully started and that we would build onto strong foundations and that we won't pass go. Jesus, we, we love you. We love you. This is all for you. This is all to you because it's all through you. And what an honor to give it back to you. In Jesus' name.